When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did DeAndre Ayton deserve to go number one? Will Marvin Bagley live up to the hype? How has the NBA style of play trickled down to the high school level? The only question left is, say it with me, you in? Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on the National Director of Recruiting for ESPN, who's also head coach at Wright State, the none other than Paul Biancardi, a guy that we've been trying to connect with and have on the show for a while now. And, Paul, I'm so glad you can, have, you can come on the show. And good timing, Coach Nick. Good timing. We're both watching the draft. Yes. So the draft is actually on as we speak. Uh, it's toward the end of the first round. But I wanted to get your quick reactions and your immediate reactions before all the other people start talking in your ear and changing your opinion. I want to know what you think about some of these things. So I figured let's just kind of run down and start at the top and get into a conversation about what's going on with these picks and how they fit. So uh, let's just start at the top. Number one, not a surprise, DeAndre Ayton goes to goes to Phoenix, uh, stays home. What do you think about this pick? Well, I think they had to make that pick because, you know, there's nobody like him in the draft. Size-wise, his skill, his physical measurables and I, I tweeted this earlier you got to give he was the number one pick when he came into the high school game when he came into high school basketball he was destined to be the number one pick uh, the year he comes out of college which was 219 I'm sorry you know, 28 217 218 draft Sean Miller I thought did a great job of getting the most out of him this year there were questions about his effort his motor, his energy, was he bored with the game or did he just not love the game? And I think Aiton answered a lot of those questions as a freshman at Arizona. There was never a question about can he score in the low post, can he rebound, can he block shots, can he run? There's never been a question about his talent. It was just more about his effort and energy level. I thought he answered that very well, and I think Phoenix has themselves an all-star player. And so you don't think there's going to be any issues, or maybe you think the, the opposite. He'll be able to plug in alongside their other really young, uh, you know, polished, somewhat polished stars, and some who aren't polished. He'll he'll fit in really well with what they're doing and how they're uh, building with a brand new coach. Yeah, I think he'll be great. My only question about DeAndre Ayton is this: now that he's the number one pick, and he's got millions upon millions of dollars coming in, is he going to be an everyday player where he shows up to practice? engaged early, stays late, watches film, works in the offseason to be the best he can be, or will he be a feel-like-it-player and decide, you know what, I feel like doing it today, tomorrow I don't feel like doing it. Regardless if he's an everyday player or a feel-like-it-player, he's going to put up really good numbers. The difference will be if he becomes an everyday player, Phoenix will win and win at a high level. 
Okay, well, that, that does give me a, a slight red flag, though, because some of the players that we're going to talk about, does, that 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 point doesn't even come up, right? They, we know that they're going right. to be an everyday player. So I suppose the fact that we're even discussing it gives you some leeway to think that, uh-oh, you know, it, it could be a thing. Like, I'm trying to think of other players who are like that recently. Uh, are we talking about in the order of, um, you know, uh, Okafor from Duke? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't see that a lot from Okafor. In high school, he was lazy at times, but he seemed like that he played uh, to the best of his ability. He, he was never in tip-top shape, and I think that hurt him a lot. You know, Aiton, Aiton in high school uh, took a lot of possessions off, took some games off, and when you watch him play, you, you just you want more because you know he can do more. Uh, that's my only concern with, with DeAndre Aiton, but we can go through all these guys Nick and you're going to find concerns with everyone. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. I, we won't have the an- we won't have the answer to DeAndre Ayton until about three years. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one then. The next pick for the Sacramento Kings. There was some talk about maybe them going with Doncic. I, I'm a huge fan of his game, but they ended up going with Marvin Bagley. And interestingly enough, when on our live show we just finished, I was talking about how you know I kind of think I might have liked. Uh, Wendell, uh, I'm sorry, um, the, his counterpart uh, who played center on that Duke team, and my mind, my completely br- uh, blanking because he got picked a little bit later in the round. Um, wait, where did Wendell his? Carter? Yeah, Wendell Carter. But why don't I see? Oh, here it is, Wendell Carter by the Bulls. So I'm, I, I kind of felt like I liked Wendell Carter's game better than Marvin Bagley. So explain to me how he goes second and Wendell Carter goes seventh. Uh, I love Wendell Carter as well, but I, to me, Marvin Bagley the third. Uh, would have been the number one pick because of the athleticism. It's very similar to DeAndre Ayton. He's not as big as Ayton. He's not as physically imposing as Ayton. He's a better offensive player. He has tremendous scoring instincts. He can score with his back to the basket in a low post move, a jump hook or an up and under, similar to DeAndre Ayton, maybe more polished than Ayton inside. He's got a beautiful short face-up game, and he showed the ability to make three-point shots. So he can score from all three levels, really smooth uh, in the open floor, really attacks the glass. I like the way he's, he's physical on the glass and he gets rebounds. He works for the ball. Aiton doesn't really work for the ball as much. And so I like the everyday productivity from Marvin Bagley, especially on the offensive end. Right. And he'll, get, he'll, get second chance, he'll get second chance points because he gets, he's an excellent second jumper. Um, you know, in high school, when I watched him, whether his team was winning or losing, he always played with great effort. He always played the right way, and he put up big numbers. He, he was not just effective, but he was efficient in most of his games. Um, you know, people question his defensive ability. I don't think it's ability. I don't think it's a question of can he play defense. It's a question of will he play defense. And, and I think when you get to the pro level, there's two things that really change. One is your shooting. It, it gets better with most. And, and two, your defense gets better because this is all you do every day. And if, you, if you're a film watcher and you care about winning, your defense will pick up. Fair enough. And speaking of film, the one thing I think I noticed that gives me – I don't know if it gives me pause – is that, you know, we've seen a lot of NBA players or a lot of lefties in the NBA uh, do very well, even though they only go left. I mean, guys like Lamar Odom come to mind. And I noticed that about Bagley, almost to the point where we saw Ben Simmons wants to finish with his right hand almost all the time to the point where he gets awkward with it. 
It kind of feels like the same thing with Bagley with his left. Do you feel like that's an issue? No, no, not at all. I, I know what you're saying. He likes to come back to his left hand. I, I think he'll do some skill work with his right hand. He, he'll he be able to score inside with his, with his other hand when he needs to. Again, all these guys have a learning curve, and they all have you know areas that have to improve. So I'm, I'm, with Marvin Bagley, you're looking at a guy who put up numbers as a freshman in the ACC that nobody at Duke ever did before. Uh, that says a lot to me about him. I love his productivity. I love his efficiency. And I think he's the best offensive player in the draft. Okay. Well, let's move on to number three because we had an interesting thing where the Hawks drafted Luka Doncic and then they did a quick trade. But let's just go in order the way they picked. So Luka Doncic goes. He's ultimately going to go to the Mavericks now. Um, Did you get a chance to see a lot of his games since he was playing over in Spain? No. I mean, I saw him on film a couple of times, but... You know, the smartest player maybe in the draft and the best player, uh, best passer in the draft uh, from what I've seen. Um, you know, you can question some things about him defensively. Can he move? You no, know, with him it's can he move laterally quick enough? He's smart enough to do it. Um, you know, what's his learning curve going to be like from an emotional standpoint after playing over in Europe and now playing in the NBA with so much pressure on him? Uh, how's he going to handle pressure, ball pressure, when people really get up on him? Mm-hmm. I think he's going to beat people with his basketball IQ, his passing, and obviously he can, he can make open shots. Um, he just brings so much instincts to the game. And, and with the instincts I'm talking about, you can't really coach. So I think he's a tremendous fit for anybody. And obviously the Dallas Mavericks, he got traded to, uh, and they had Dirk Nowinski. Uh, and they put great stock into Doncic. Sure. And I think he's got sneaky athletic ability. And what I saw is, you know, yeah, he could easily get beat. I think the real question is where are they going to play him? Obviously, they're not going to play him much at point guard, it sounds like, because they've already got that covered. But, um, you know, I... I, He'll he'll play a a point forward, I think. I think he'll be a point forward. And and you mentioned the athleticism. On film, you could never... I worked for Rick Majerus at St. Louis, and, and he was right. You can't tell someone's athleticism on film. You can tell their instincts for the game and their skill level, uh, but you can't see how athletic they are or they're not on film. Well, at this point in my life, it's pretty obvious how athletic I am without even needing film. And if you're anything like me, then you're all too familiar with crushing credit card debt at outrageous interest rates. I try to just put it out of my mind and make whatever payments I can and ignore the fact that I might never finish paying it off. But that can all change now. Lightstream allows you to lower that interest rate and consolidate your debt so you can finally get a handle on your finances. If you have good credit, you can get a credit card consolidation loan anywhere from $5,000 to $100,000 at a 5.89% APR with AutoPay. Better yet, if you go to lightstream.com slash breakdown, you'll get an additional interest rate discount, all with no fees. The only way to get this discount is to visit lightstream.com slash breakdown. So lift the burden of debt off your shoulders, get some breathing room, and visit Lightstream today. 
maybe we could take a detour for about three minutes because I've always been curious about when talking with scouts about how important it is to actually be in the arena and see these guys up close. I know part of it is when they're trying to scout like plays and all that stuff. That's one thing. But when you're trying to scout the players themselves, um, I guess you would you would argue that it's absolutely completely vital that you are there multiple times in person somewhere close so you can really get a, a sense of what they are on um, in, with your own eyeballs. Oh, without question. I mean, I just I love sizing up a person so I know actually how big he is. Uh, you try to get his wingspan uh, from from measurements, but and, and then you look at his body type. It, it, does he need to put on weight? How much? Does he need to lose body fat? Um, there's a lot of things you look at. It's hard to tell lateral quickness unless you're there live. It's hard to tell speed. And then when a player can change his speed, if it's a guard, uh, if it's a big, you try to look at his, his hips and his legs, his girth. You know, where can he put muscle on? Uh, there's just so many measurables. The, the explosiveness, the second jump, uh, you have to be live to see that. Fair enough. I mean, you know, it's funny because we have so many measurables now with uh, the, the way they have player tracking and they can put those sensors on everybody. They, they can almost measure that stuff. I know it's not live in a game, although they could probably do that as well. But to me, almost it's like, well, I got to see how he reacts to when the coach is coaching him in the timeouts, right? And what happens when he gets taken out and he's on the bench and the team's going on a run without him? Is he, you know, cheering? I think that that must be a big part of it as well, wouldn't you say? Yes, big part of our evaluations, we look at traits, we look at character, what, what type of teammate they are. Do they help their teammate off the floor? If their teammates are struggling, do they give them support or are they barking at them? Um, it, it's huge, their interaction between um, each other, their interaction with their head coach after getting instructions, whether it's a, a critical uh, piece of instruction or it's maybe a positive piece, how they interact with the officials, you know, uh, taunting against the opponent. There's so many things that you have to be there live to see that you could pick up on uh, in the scouting business. And being a college coach for 20 years and, and being the director of recruiting for ESPN, I, I place a large premium on the character traits of a player. Fair enough. I, I just also wonder if the teams that are picking the top five, six, if they really can afford to pass on a player that would be really good because of those traits, uh, and maybe they just hope, oh, well, if he's not a great teammate, we're going to have to just sort of deal, or maybe it will help him out. But, you know, like the Kings, when they're drafting DeMarcus Cousins or those kind of things, I almost feel like they're, they're at the, they're, they, they, they can't let that influence them as much as they'd like. Well, again, the talent has to be appropriate. I mean, if you're going to be a high lottery pick, you've got to be extremely talented, and, and you have to have the traits to back it up. But, you know, a lot of programs will, franchises will look at some of the traits a guy doesn't have, and they'll have to live with that. Mm -hmm. It's really important when you evaluate, and whether it's recruiting in college or you're at the NBA level in drafting, A, you have to trust your eyes, and, and B, you have to have the ability to understand your drafting or recruiting based on what that prospect can do, not what he can't do. Right. Uh, every player has every player has a concern. Every player has a weakness. But when you're making a draft pick or you're recruiting, you're doing that based on what you think they can do for you and how they'll fit in your program or franchise. 
Well, let's move on to a fit uh, with Memphis because they picked Jaron Jackson Jr. out of Michigan State. And uh, I got to tell you, you know, Tom Izzo just keeps churning these guys out uh, every year, uh, guys that can come in and, and contribute. Uh, I don't know if I'm as sold, though, on him looking at what he can do, uh, certainly on the offensive end. So where do you think he's going to fit in right away with the Memphis Grizzlies? Well, I'll tell you what. In the high school ranks, nobody shot up the charts uh, faster and quicker uh, than Jaron Jackson. The only guy I could think about in that class of 217 that really moved his way up into the charts, top 10, uh, was Jaron Jackson Jr. and Colin Sexton. Those guys came on like gangbusters as we finished our rankings, both uh, top 10 guys. It, it amazed me watching him in high school, the, the length and the athleticism alone. And then you saw a guy who could make the occasional shot behind the arc in high school. But I'll tell you what, he took you inside it can give you a jump hook. He was great at finishing. And defensively, he was so quick getting off the ground and chasing down drivers to block shots. And he was a very, very high level and ambitious rebounder in high school. So uh, I see him as a guy who can eventually make an open shot in the NBA, a guy who can score in the paint right now at a high level. I think he'll block the rim at a very high level, and I think he'll be a, a great rebounder. So you mentioned that he kind of, I guess, came out of nowhere at the end of the high school career with him and Colin Sexton. How, what does that mean? How does that happen? What, like, are these like you know summer or spring league games that they're suddenly appearing in and, and destroying other high level uh, players? Like, how did, what what accelerated that process and came got them everyone noticing them? Well, first of all, Colin Sexton just wasn't on anybody's. He was he was like a regional recruit. He was from the Southeast. The SEC schools were recruiting him. Uh, and then he became a national recruit because once we laid our eyes on him, we put him into the ESPN 100. Once we put him into the 100, our next ranking, we moved him up. And every time we did a ranking, which is usually, you know, every three or four months, he would move up. And then the final ranking after the McDonald's All-American, the Jordan Brand Classic, all their practices, the end of the regular season, you know, we, we decided that he was a top 10 talent, and the same with Jaron Jackson. Jackson uh, was on our board. He just, he just kind of moved from the back end of the ESPN 100 to the inside the top 50. And then at the end of the season, he played for Lalomir High School. They won a, uh, a championship that we televised in New York called the Geico Nationals. And he was just simply dominating as a senior. And his point production wasn't what you would think it would be for a lottery pick, a high lottery pick. But don't forget, that was a good Michigan State team, and Miles Bridges took a lot of shots. And, <laughs> and they had some other guys. They had other guys in, in, in Nick Ward and uh, you know, Cassius Stanley. They had some, some very good players. So his points in college are deceiving. Uh, he can score the ball, but he can really protect the rim and rebound. Okay, good to know. I, I'm anxious to see how he's going to play uh, alongside that very veteran-laden team. And speaking of being a newcomer amongst a lot of veterans, I want to talk about my first job out of college for a second. I wanted to work on the movie Richie Rich that was filming in Chicago, so I wandered into the location manager's office. He had a stack of resumes at least 200 thick. I asked him if he was hiring. He took one look at the resumes, another look at me, then hired me on the spot. It was just as easy as using ZipRecruiter is now. It's the best place to connect growing businesses with qualified candidates by visiting ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. 
ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. They've got powerful matching technology, scanning thousands of resumes to identify just the right candidates so you never miss a match. Did you know 80% of employers find a quality candidate on the first day? With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-R-E-A-K-D-O-W-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, let's move on to Trey Young, who now is playing for the Hawks. And they are retooling their entire uh, franchise here, and they and they made a big move to get him. I I also love uh, you know full disclosure. I love Trey Young. I did a video on him earlier this year uh, before before he had the struggles in the second half. And certainly, he just reeks of a guy who you get him on the floor with four other pros, and you're going to see some fireworks. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean he's he's a guy that's so deadly from what you can't leave him open. So he stretches the floor. He creates driving lines and a post-up game because wherever he is on the floor, uh, the defender has to be right next to him. So the spacing improves right away with Trey Young. I think he's sensational in pick and rolls, not just shooting behind the screen, which is very important, but he can come off and attack it and make two play him. Excellent passer. There's more space in the NBA. The, the difference is this for me with Trey Young. You know, when he comes off a ball screen and he's trying to make the assist, the length, the wingspan, and the physicality of the NBA is going to be so much different than college. I, I think he's going to have a learning curve. Everybody says, well, you know, who's he going to defend? And that, that's going to be a little bit of a struggle at the beginning until he learns how to defend and get stronger. He really can't switch uh, on guys, I think, too much. I know a switch in the NBA is usually four to five seconds, but – you, he doesn't want to switch on somebody 6'6", six, six, who's, who's strong and powerful. I just think he has to adjust to the physicality of the game more than anything and the, the length and the athleticism of the defense and how quickly that lane will shut down. Uh, if he stays smart and moves without the ball, makes open shots, creates space for himself by coming off screens, he'll be excellent. So another player who I was high on who is really hasn't been able to get into a great situation yet, although there's signs, is a guy like Buddy Heald. And so I guess, obviously, that name, they're not very similar per se, but certainly a, you know, a, a right. high-scoring player who could really shoot, who you know basically hit this wall when he got to the NBA. Is, do you think, was, is that a good comp, or do you think that, you know, is he on the path to being another Steph Curry? No, I, I don't want to say anybody's going to be the next anybody. He has Steph Curry-isms because he <laughs> shoots it so deep and so quick and so accurate, and that's what people like to compare him. And he's a great passer. He, he's got great vision. Uh, and if his passes connect, yeah, he's going to get some assists. But can he see the pass? Will, will the defense hamper his vision? Uh, he's 6'2 and slight right now. Again, I think the adjustment's going to be physical, on the offensive end and physical on the defensive end. I don't think the speed of the game will be a problem, and I don't think the, the basketball IQ will be a problem. Uh, but, but he's a guy that has to be he, – he's going to be a specialist in some ways as a shooter, and he'll be a very good assist guy. He's got to be careful not to do too much. Remember this year, Nick, when he tried to do too much at Oklahoma, what happened? Mm -hmm. His game got sloppy. Team didn't function well. 
that stuff can't happen in the pros. Fair enough. And I would be surprised if it did too much because now, you know, he doesn't have to do everything and the, the floor could be better balanced. So we'll see how that works. But he should get an excellent opportunity with lots of playing time in Atlanta. Uh, let me ask you a really quick question as a quick detour about the, the game and where we're moving toward. Because obviously in the NBA, I'm studying it every day and all the time. And we see how the, you know, the three-point shot is becoming so dominant. We're moving towards probably 53-point attempts per game at some point in the next several years. Um, do you see that kind of wide open and then shoot threes for the sake of shooting threes kind of style? Is that, is that already trickling down into the high school level? In some ways it is. Guys are taking more threes. Uh, teams are taking more threes. For me, it's, it's the guys who don't work on their shooting are taking shots. That's what makes it look really bad and sloppy uh, because young kids don't understand after the shot is taken, you've got to get back on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the guys who are really good shooters, I don't have a problem with them shooting open shots or even shots that are semi-contested because they've put so much time into the game. I just think guys are shooting threes thinking they're going to go in like layups, um, and they're grossly mistaken. So, And I don't know if guys are working on it as much as they think they are because it's the lowest percentage shot, right, of the three. The free throw is the highest. The two-point field goal is a higher percentage shot in, in most situations. So the three-point shot is the lowest percentage. Obviously, it produces a better yield. But if it's the lowest percentage shot, uh, you better work on it the most. Sure. And there could just be, you know, they're not old enough. They, they don't have enough hours in the day and, and years in their lives yet to become a consistent knockdown shooter, which is not their fault. But uh, I also feel like, are you seeing guys uh, really pushing the boundaries of where, the, where they're taking the shots and getting farther and farther off the line at the high school level too? Yeah, they are. And, and, and you know, it's, it's and they're watching the best players in the game and the best players are, are taking and making those shots. And the Trey Youngs are doing it in college, the Steph Currys, the Kevin Durants, uh, Chris Pauls. But nobody has any idea of the thousands, the tens of thousands of hours that those guys have put in to be where they are today. They weren't that way when they were in high school and even college. Uh, but, but guys are trying to go even deep behind the line, like you mentioned. And it makes for an uglier shot and, and just some bad defensive transition. Sure. And so coaches coaches have their work cut out for them. If a guy can't shoot it comfortably with strength and body balance um, and some consistency, they shouldn't be taking that shot. Yeah. And, you know, certainly we, I do a lot of uh, clinics, and we certainly have done a lot of advanced study into the jump shot and the mechanics and what we teach. Uh, a lot of the things that you and I learned when we were growing up and that we even taught for a long time actually aren't really what the good shooters do. So uh, that's the other issue is you have these players who are probably, you know, doing a lot of the old school fundamentals a lot and they're just kind of practicing to miss. Uh, so, Paul, tell me, you know, which team do you think has impressed you the most in the first round with who they picked? For me, Nick, it's, it's the Clippers. Uh, they traded and got Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who I had as the number one point guard in the draft. I love his size at 6'6". You know, guys play small ball at 6'6". At the forward spot, we're talking about a 6'6 point guard with a 7-foot wingspan, and that enables him to finish at the rim and to keep quicker guys in front with that length. Um, I just love everything about him as a point guard. Not a great athlete, but a film watcher, a guy who's smart, makes other people better, a facilitator. He's very polished in ball screen. So I thought that was an excellent pickup for the Clippers. And then they came right after that with Jerome Robinson, who I thought, in, in my mind, was the sleeper in this draft. He was a guy people were talking about late in the first. Uh, I guess his workouts were good. But when I watched him just on the eye test, 
at Boston College, and, and I used to coach there, and I talked to the staff there, and I've talked to a lot of guys in the ACC. You know, if he played on Duke or Carolina or a top-10 team in the country, I think his stock might have been higher earlier on. Anyway, it, it ended up being where it should be, which is in the lottery. Uh, he can really score, and he's tough as nails. Second in the ACC in scoring. I mean, listen to these numbers. He's 48% from the field, which is good. And you know he got all the defensive attention. 40% from three and an 83% free throw shooter. That's, that's 171 total. Uh, the NBA looks for guys that are 180 shooters. So I thought those two picks, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Jerome Robinson, those guys are going to help the Clippers right away, and they both have long-term upside in the game. For sure, for sure. I need to do some more studying on Jerome Robinson. The reason why I like him already is that he played three years in, in college, which to me yeah. just makes you that much more prepared um, to to contribute right away versus some of these guys who are 19 and haven't played much. Although, to do, don't just credit, as a 19-year-old, he's gone through the gauntlet of playing in the EuroLeague for a couple of years now, which gives him, I think, another big leg up, certainly because that pressure that you mentioned before, could he face it or not, uh, I, I think that the pressure he faced playing in those games uh, in the in the final four the euro championships i mean those those are pretty close to being playoff level uh intensity wouldn't you say no question about it I, i'm not as familiar as some other people about that competition but it's it's much stronger than ncaa he, he's he's a young man playing in a man's game over in europe i think he's going to be terrific here Doncic, but you know, you're number three with a lot of hype, and I think people are going to expect too much too soon. I think he'll right. be terrific as time goes on. But getting back to Jerome Robinson yeah. and Shea Gilgis Alexander, they're terrific in pick and roll. And you, you talked about the way the game is going. There's so much pick and roll in the game, whether it's on the side, it's a flat ball screen, it's an angle ball screen, it's a double screen. And both Gilgis Alexander and Jerome Robinson navigate very well in ball screens. And you mentioned Robinson being a three-year college guy. He improved every year at Boston College. He started out as the point guard, and then he moved over to the two guard. He's got great footwork for his scoring. Um, I'm really high on him and, and Gilgis Alexander. I thought the Clippers you know, get an A-plus on this draft. Terrific. Well, I'll give you an A-plus on this podcast because certainly the information has been <laughs> terrific and top-notch. Uh, so, Paul, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and bringing this down for us. Well, I got to tell you, Nick, that that's been the first A plus that I ever got in my life. So I'll take it. <laughs> All right, you got it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Paul? I'm two feet in. <laughs> All right.